everyone. Welcome back to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth, and I'm alongside Mike Howerton, of course. And we are brought to you by Predator, Predator Cues, and Tiger, Tiger Products. Uh, make sure you say hello to our good friend Corey Harper at Tiger. And we also have a new sponsor for you this week for Run Out Radio, Simonis Cloth. Simonis, the choice of champions. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Um, been able to spend a little bit of time at home after all that traveling we had done, and it's kind of nice. Had a nice Christmas holiday. Did you have a good Christmas? I did, but uh, like you, I'm, it was too much travel this, this holiday season. I, I felt like I was never off of an airplane. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to spending a few more weeks at home and, and you and I not being on the road anytime soon. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, pretty interesting show we've got today. We're going to be talking about, of course, uh, the Moscone Cup and the uh, happenings, all the happenings out in Reno and the Player of the Year choices that we made. And we've got one of those Players of the Year, Ralph Souquet, is going to be joining us a little bit later in the show. Yeah, it's uh, been a while since we've done a show, so there's been uh, quite a bit of stuff that happened. You want to start with the uh, the juniors and the wheelchair event? Well, might as well. That was our first trip to Reno, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we went out there, of course, first to watch the uh, uh, WPA uh, World Wheelchair Championships and the WPA World Junior Championships for both girls and boys. And um, you got to give all those competitors credit. There was a lot of heart in that room. There was. Um... <clears throat> Fans of the show may not know that I personally am a big uh, sports fan. Jerry is not a big sports fan. Uh, Correct. Jerry doesn't really care for organized sports. Um, A number of people that I've known over the years who were not fans of organized sports say that it's the opinion that the professional athletes aren't playing the game for the sake of the game anymore. They're playing it for a paycheck. That was certainly not what was going on in Reno with that junior event. It was great to see those young players who had made it there to Reno on their own or or their parents raising money or or however, but they were not playing for a payday. They weren't playing for first prize of X number of dollars. That was all about the medal and holding that title. So uh, Players who lost, let's just say they were a lot more emotional about it. You could see the emotion written on their faces all week. Well, you could see the emotion. You could see the tears. And that's good to see because that means these are kids who had a dream. These are kids who are following that dream. And when they fell short, they were very disappointed. And that's what you want to see in sport. And and you're right. What you said earlier about organized sports, uh, to me, watching a bunch of millionaires toss balls around is not a lot of fun. But watching these kids uh, who, you know, they weren't playing for money. They were playing for honor and for a medal. And um, they really put their hearts out there on the line. It was great to watch. Well, and I think you really have to take your hat off to uh, the boys winner, which is really not, I mean, you can't really call it a boys winner. Ping Yi Ko is, is a man amongst pool players. Um, I think you have to take your hat off to both Ping Yi Ko and Jericho Banyaris. These guys both play in world championships, and, I mean, at least with Banyaris, you know that 
that this kid gambles with the absolute top players across the world, and for them to come out and play in an event like this really shows something about both of them. Yes, it did, and uh, that was a great final. Um, Pinico came out on top, but, uh, you know, that was a coin flip going into that match. It was. Um, I mean, pretty much everyone figured that it was going to be Co and Banyaris in the finals. Uh, the two of them were really, I'm not trying to take anything away from the other players who were in that division, but those two players were really head and shoulders above the rest of the field. Just based on experience, um, I expected Banyaris was going to win that match, but Co just seemed to have... He seemed to have a much better mental game going into it. Um, he just he seemed to have himself together. He he played in complete control, which really I mean that's that's kind of the the Asian ethic it seems when when Asian players are playing at at their top level. Yeah, um, you know you you can see how. They, they model their their games after the heroes of their own of their own country, and the, the Binyaris plays a lot like Efren and Bata, and uh, Pinyi Ko certainly has a, a plethora of people that he could model his game after. Um, but it's amazing to watch the differences between the two uh, uh, players' pl- uh, attitude at the table and the way they walk around the table, the way they approach the ball. It was also interesting to watch Banyaris um, on the sidelines sweating the matches for the other Filipino players and taking time to set up shots on the table in between matches with uh, Jonas Magpante and the young lady that was here from the Philippines. He seemed like he was trying to do everything he could to help coach them along while they were playing. It wasn't just a simple... Uh, him coming out and competing and and looking for action. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was there was a challenge laid down between Co and Banyaris, uh, although it did not happen. But he seemed like he was here for more than that. He was he was here to help his fellow Filipino players, and all three of those players can be very proud of what they accomplished at the event. Indeed, and um, on the young lady's side, we have uh, a champion who can be quite proud of what she accomplished as well, Brittany Bryant of uh, Canada. What a great champion she is. That was another interesting match. Uh, Brittany played Konishi Samiya from Japan, and uh-huh. the pressure seemed to be getting to both of them. They both made mistakes. It, it was certainly not their best match of the tournament, but just watching Brittany the entire match, since we were so close filming it, um, she just didn't seem like she ever really thought that she was in danger of losing that match. She she didn't get down on herself if she made a mistake, and she came through at the end. I mean, maybe she just knew that uh, Samia was, was facing the same kind of pressure and that she felt she'd be able to get through it, but she just didn't seem like it ever bothered her. Yeah, and you know what I liked about her confidence is she had that type of confidence that doesn't have any cockiness with it. She was able to be confident of her own game, sure of herself, without putting down her opponent. Right. That's the kind of confidence that you like to see. With some of the young players that I've seen play at the Junior Nationals, it was a different kind of cockiness, and and there's really no room for that sort of thing in pool. I agree. Well... 
after the wheelchair and the junior event, we got to split up and go our separate ways. And you went back to Reno for the Reno Open, and I went to Malta for the Moscone Cup. Yeah, tell, tell me about Moscone Cup. We all know what uh, what happened with the score line, but what did you see there that that maybe the fans didn't get a chance to to notice just from watching the scores? Um. I never saw the Americans really get into their game. They did not live up to their potential. Um, the spirit wasn't there this year. Um, I don't know exactly what was going on behind the scenes. I know there was some um, there were some words said in the practice room between some American players, um, but. They, it, it, in fact, one doubles match, Rodney Morris came out, and I've never seen Rodney anything but animated and energetic and uh, full of drive and desire. And for the first time I've ever seen Rodney just sit in his chair and watch the match. Uh, and he'd, he'd get up to shoot when it was his turn. But um, his spirit, he was not on fire like you normally see Rodney Morris on fire. Um, and I'm not singling Rodney out at all. Um, After the first couple of days, um, the American's heart just wasn't in it. Um, And they never gelled as a team, and and the the Americans will tell you that doesn't matter. So, I mean, they disagree with me on this. They think that the fact that the Europeans ate breakfast together every day as a team and ate dinner every night together as a team and went out on the town together as a team, they don't see that as being important. The Americans don't. The Americans are a group of individuals who think they can come together on the table as a team and then go back to being individuals. I don't know that they're right. I don't know that I'm right. I know that the Europeans acted like a team um, they encouraged one another, they supported one another, and they won the Moscone Cup. Well, I certainly don't know enough about what goes on inside a person's mind playing pool at that level, but uh, I would think that it's got to be easier knowing that you've got four guys sitting on the sidelines who, if you make a mistake, they're going to pick you up and you don't feel that you've got the entire team on your shoulders, as I'm sure some of the American players must have felt. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree. Well, something's going to have to happen. I mean, the rethink that whole attitude, I, I don't know. Um, Alex lately seemed to have his team together, and um, I don't know, maybe the maybe the European players just have more respect for each other as players and, and more respect for Alex as a coach. I mean, I can't imagine any U S player not having respect for, for Nick as a coach, but uh, I don't know what it is. Well, there's a, there's a larger concern that needs to be aired, which is that if you look at the world championships um, this year and the past few years, um, they're not being won by Americans. Uh, Europe, is tending to own them in 2008, in fact. And before that, it was um, a combination of Europe and China and uh, the Philippines. Um, While the players from around the world 
are stepping up their game and improving their game, um, I'm not sure that the American players are keeping pace. Well, but I think that can also be a reflection of what's going on here in the U.S., where we're getting less and less major tournaments, and even the major tournaments that we do have are not um, they're not attended by all of the the top U.S. players. I mean, when a U.S. player gets into a a high-pressure situation, I would imagine it's quite different than when a European player gets into a high-pressure situation and they say, yeah, you know, I've been here before. You know, I I was playing in a high-pressure situation three or four weeks ago, playing in the Euro Tour event or in, you know, the All Japan or, or some other tournament out there. I mean, the, the economy is hurting the game, but I think it's hurting the American players even more. Oh, I have to agree with you. I mean, we looked at the events that uh, our male player of the year played in this year, and he played in uh, somewhere between 25 and 30 events in 2008, and many Americans played in less than 10. Yeah. I think that's got to be a big part of it, but I don't see an answer to that anytime soon. Uh, Not until this economy turns around. But enough about the Moscone. How did it go in Reno? Well, Reno was a good event. Um... Of course, we were missing some of the players who were at Moscone Cup. Uh, I was streaming some of the matches online, and uh, Shane joined us from Malta watching some of the early matches when he couldn't sleep, and he had mentioned that Reno was always one of his favorite events, and he would have loved to have been there. Um, Mike Davis had a great tournament. Uh, he he played really well. I mean, Mike seems to play well at... Um, at the Reno event. It's the second time that I've been to that event, and coincidentally enough, Mike Davis won the only other time that I was at the event. So I guess I probably <laughs> should have known going in that he was going to win. Did he give you a jelly roll or anything? I mean, No, he didn't. You should be his good luck troll. <laughs> well, actually, I think we had just about every member of his family watching the stream of the, the final few matches. Oh, good. Um. He played well. He seemed to be, I mean, let's let's face it, Mike doesn't have the best stroke in the game. Um, even Mike would, would be willing to tell you that he doesn't have the best stroke in the game. Um, a few of the people that were watching the stream were commenting on how, you know, there was no way that he was going to, to win the event with the stroke that he had and... Uh, you know, his his inability to really come with a major stroke shot, uh, but he really put it together. Uh, he played Leonardo Andam in the finals. Andam was just running away with the match. And for people who have not or who did not have a chance to watch the streaming video, we will have the video online probably within the next week or so. Um, at 7-2 down, Mike Davis called a timeout, and he said that really he was just looking for the opportunity to call a timeout because Andam was running rack after rack. Uh, he called the timeout. He came back and won seven games in a row, and he ran five racks on him. And the first rack that he ran was one of the ugliest racks I've ever seen, not in in Mike's ability at running out. It was just he had to make a kick shot here. He had to make a bank shot there. And, and those are not the kind of shots that you want to make in the finals of a major event. He even commented afterwards, he said, it seemed like the first shot that I had when I came back from the timeout was a 
maybe I had a 20% chance of making it. And he said, I made that and I left myself a shot. I might've had a 10% chance to make. He said, I knew I just had to, I had to make the shots. He said, I knew if I missed that I was done and he made the shots. It, it was quite a victory for him. Yeah. Reno is always quite an event to win because you have to come through such a large field to do it. Yeah. Um, and, um, Interesting enough, it was another major event with a Filipino player in the finals with the Filipino player failing to capture the win. It, it seems like it's beginning to become a pattern where we see Filipino players in the finals and they don't win the events. Well, it, it does show that uh, the Filipinos are no longer the, the only people in the world who can play. Oh, no, no. Definitely not. And it was also good to see an American player, um, you know, win a major. You know, that's that's really two major events in the year, if you want to include the Generation Pool event, that were won by American players. Can you think of anything else that took place in the year that was won by an American? Yeah, not not really. Well, um, and, and real yeah. briefly, um, speaking about the the streaming video side of things, uh, people who watched, they saw that there were some quote unquote technical difficulties before the, uh, semifinal match between Andam and, uh, Ernesto Dominguez. I'm not going to get into what exactly happened, but I do want to make a comment that what I saw at that time was two people who are both um, heroes as far as this game is concerned, two people who who have said that they care a lot about the game and they care a lot about the game getting better, two people who let their hatred for each other come before the game itself. And when two people use this game as a place to battle against each other instead of putting all of their effort into making this game as strong as it can possibly be, mm-hmm. then this game is doomed. Um, I was very embarrassed by what happened. Even with the technical difficulties, Ernesto and Andam had to wait for this little battle to play itself out. They were told, you'll be playing in five minutes. Five minutes came. They were not playing. They were continuing to practice. I can't say yes or no whether it affected either player, but when you have to practice for 30 minutes, waiting for the antics on the sidelines to come to an end so you can get back to the real reason why everyone was there to play in a pool tournament, there's something wrong with that. And... I, for one, was very embarrassed about how the whole thing went down. Well, hopefully it won't happen again. I know I will not be in that position again. I can guarantee that. (laughs) But that's enough of that. What else do we want to uh, cover before we flip the switch and bring Ralph in? Well, um, I mean, it's always a pleasure to talk to Ralph. To never have to have a reason to talk to Ralph. But uh, our reason this time is that Ralph was named as our 2008 Male Player of the Year. And I don't know about you, but it wasn't an easy decision. No, it wasn't. Um, I mean, in the end, Ralph 
definitely deserved the honor. Uh, he, he had a very close uh, competitor in Mika Eminen, uh, who also had a great year, but there were just uh, some some issues that, that really threw the thing in Ralph's favor, and uh, he is certainly a deserving champion. Absolutely. Um, I was back and forth, Mika, Ralph, Ralph, Mika, the whole time. Um, I think it was as close as it could possibly be, to the point where we almost could have had co-players of the year, but I didn't really feel that that was the proper solution, and I had to pick one player, and that picture, that player was Ralph. Um, it really could have gone either way. And on the women's side, I really didn't see a whole lot of uh, uh, decision-making that had to be done there. It seemed like it was Kelly Fisher with no question. Yeah, that, that was her year. And wish we could have had Kelly on as a guest today, but she's touring around England um, and we have not been able to reach her as yet so perhaps in the future we can talk to Kelly about this given a choice of touring around England or talking to you and I I think I'd pick England yeah I'll take touring around (laughs) without further ado oh well yeah (laughs) Uh, do we want to do we want to get Ralph off of hold yeah let's do that let's bring Ralph Zuckay in well, as we said, we've got Ralph Souquet on the line with us here. Uh, Ralph, how's your New Year going, buddy? Well, so far so good. I had a pretty good start into the New Year, even though my wife, Illy, was uh, sick for two days, and uh, I had to take her to the hospital. But besides that, we had a pretty good start. Is she okay now? Yeah, she's okay now. We got back from hospital about two hours ago, and uh, it was more or less a routine uh thing that we had to go back today. Yesterday was actually the, the bad day where she had diarrhea and stomach ache, but uh, things turned out to be okay today when when the doctor saw her again and did some more tests. And so it's, it's nothing serious. Okay, we'll Luckily. give her our best, please. I will. Anyway, we are calling you, of course, to congratulate you on being chosen as uh, the AZ Billiards Player of the Year, and you certainly deserve that honor. Well, thanks a lot, guys. As I uh, already mentioned in the earlier email that I got, I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, well, what, what else can I say? I mean, I had a pretty good year. I won quite some events this year, you know, throughout the year, not only in, in a month or two. I had, you know, my wins at the beginning of the year, throughout the year, at the end of the year again. And so I guess, uh, yeah, I, I made it one of my, you know, best years in my career. Not the best, but certainly one of the best years, yeah. Ralph, what, what do you attribute your long-term success to? I mean, you've been doing this for years, and you've been one of the top players for years. What allows you to stay at that top level? Well, of course, it's always hard hard to say, but uh, I, I work really, really hard, you know, to keep my game as sharp as possible. I mean, I I practice at the table, but I also, you know, practice off the table where I, you know, run, I jog, and uh, try to keep myself in the best possible condition to be able to perform well at the table. Besides that, I always, you know, try to learn even more uh, in the game because there are so many new players out there and then every new player seems to bring 
something new into the game, and I also, you know, try to learn from that. And because you, when you keep playing your own game, you're probably going to stay at one point of your career where, you know, you just can't can't uh, uh, improve anymore. But if you are open for new things and, and try out new things, then you know you open up your horizon and you can still learn and, and grow into the game even even more. One one of the reasons that you were picked as Player of the Year was your back-to-back Euro titles last year. Mm-hmm. Can you compare the Euro Tour to the events that some of our listeners would be more familiar with, the events that take place in the U.S., and and how is it that the Euro Tour is able to achieve the success that it achieves? Well, um, first of all, the Euro Tour is probably the toughest tour in the world, and I say that because we have every single tournament, we have uh, more than 200 players from around 40 countries in Europe, and it's, it's an open tour. I mean, even Americans and Asians are welcome to play in it. Um, it is tough because, you know, you have a lot of players. You play only three days in the event, which means uh, you have a lot of matches to play. Maybe not the first and second day, but definitely on the last day. Then you have, with a race to nine, quite short races. It's not super short, but it's, you know, it's, it's somewhere in the middle. It's, Obviously not the perfect length for uh, the top players, but uh, otherwise you just can't can't finish the tournament in time. And uh, besides that, you know, every single table, uh, the balls are tapped with the template, which makes it uh, more predictable. So players are actually practicing the break, how to control a cue ball, how to, you know, send certain balls in certain directions, so uh, which makes it even tougher, again, for the top players to uh, you know, stay on top and, and, and stay in control. So, I mean, out of those 200-plus players, there are easily 50 who can win the tournaments. And when you look in the, in the winners' lists, uh, and you see so many different winners over the years, so it's, it's so hard you know, to win the tournament back-to-back. And not only to win it back-to-back, just to win one event. I mean, I I wasn't able to win a European Tour event in five years. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, I broke that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just had a, a tough time performing well on the Euro Tour, even though I, I played, you know, probably above average every single event, but at a certain point, you know, you, you you face a guy that just, you know, runs over you, even though we have alternate break all the time. Uh, but sometimes if you have, you know, bad luck on the break uh, once or twice, that's the end of the story. And, uh, yeah, it's just really, really hard to win a Euro Tour event, and not many players were able in those, uh, I believe, 16 years now, to win back-to-back titles. One of them was Johnny Archer. He once or t- twice visited Europe. I think it was in the, I don't know, late 90s or so, and he happened to win uh, back-to-back titles. And uh, But nowadays, it's really, really tough. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you need some good roles. You need just positive thinking. And, 
you know, once you you are able to win one, you go, you know, with a lot of confidence into the next one, which doesn't automatically mean you're going to be in the top eight, top four, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I had a, I was lucky enough to win two in a row and almost uh, made it to the finals in the third one after that. But Tony Drago beat me 9-8 in the quarterfinals. And, uh, yeah, we have so many top players on the tour there. So, it's, I mean, you, you usually face uh, a great player already in, a, in round two or so, if not in round one already. So you really need to be sharp in every single match. And uh, that's what makes the European pool scene uh, grow and grow and improve the, the, you know, skill of, or the level of skill every single year. I'd like to follow up on that if I could. I'd like to know how it is that tournaments in Europe can draw over 200 players to every event, and tournaments in America sometimes have trouble filling a 64-man field. And I'd like to know, is that because of the the way the game is perceived in Europe as opposed to America? Is it because of prize money or the way the tournaments are run? What's, why is it that the Euro Tour draws four times the number of players the mm-hmm. in America. Um, well, I think it's uh, there are some reasons or many reasons for that. First of all, um, we have, as I said, around 40 different countries participating, and uh, many countries are involved in the Olympic or in the National Olympic Program. So that means for many players, the Euro Tour is the uh, qualifying tour to get to the World Championships, for example. Europe has uh, quite a big quota for you know, all the world championships. Uh-huh. With, for example, I think for the April, we have like 24 to 28 spots. So everybody uh, believes and thinks and trusts their own games to you know, finish at the end of the year or, or at a certain point or a certain date of the year to just finish in the top whatever is needed to you know, to get the the qualification spot for that certain event. And, you know, countries like Holland, Poland, uh, just to name two now, there, there are more, I know that, but I, I can't think of all of them. Uh, they send their players basically uh, with no cost for the players and uh, try to compete with the best in Europe and try with that to qualify for world championships and uh, this is definitely a reason why so many players play the Euro Tour. I mean we all know the prize money is not that great. I mean actually for 2009 the prize money will be less than in 2008 due to you know sponsorship uh, problems. I mean they just have to cut 10% down uh, compared to 2008, but still the players will show up, and uh, it's it's a good tour. It has a good internet coverage. You know, we have uh, live stream on right now just two tables with also a betting company BWIN involved. But I think for 09 or especially 010, it is planned to have at least eight tables with uh, internet cameras where people around the world can watch those matches for a certain amount of, of money. And it's just, you know, organized well. Every single table has its own laptop where you can type in when one game was played and it goes online right away. 
so the whole world can basically see what's uh, happening on the Euro Tour. And I know as a fact that in some of the events we had like 8 million hits from all over the world just checking out who's doing well on the Euro Tour and, and what are the results. And this is, you know, just something that really attracts people all over the world. And, uh, yeah, I guess this is also another reason why the Eurotour is, is, is growing and is improving. And they always, you know, try to do things better. It's not always the best for the top players. But uh, this is also a reason why the Tour is, uh, you know, growing and growing. Because if you only do something for the top 10, 20, 30 players, the rest at one points just won't show up anymore because then they see, well, we don't have a chance and why should we support something where we only bring money for the top players? I mean, it's in every sport, but, you know, there's got to be light at the horizon for more than just 20 players. Uh, Ralph, i got to ask you, after the year you've just had... (laughs) I mean, you won a world championship, you won the Moscone Cup, you won Derby City Namba. What was what was the highlight of the year for you? What was the best moment of the year? Well, um, obviously winning the eight ball world championships was definitely my highlight of the year because it was it's always been a dream to win the world nine ball uh, the world eight ball championships because eight ball is one of my best games. I had so many wins on the European Championships. I've been into the finals 12 years in a row. And uh, But for some reason, when it came to the World Championships April, I never played my game. I always, either I was sick or just my opponent played better or I, you know, just played not the speed that, I, that I'm able to play. So, but in 08, everything finally, you know, went my way, and that was definitely my my best victory. Besides that, I mean, winning the Moscone Cup is uh, is always great. I mean, it's it's just such a totally different event where two teams play each other, and uh, I mean, Moscone Cup is special. It's definitely one of the best events to play in because, you know, you have all the fans rooting for you or against you, and uh, this is this is special and, and different than any other events. But still, if I can choose a number one event for 08, it was the World's April Championships. Well, Ralph, let's, I'd like to ask you about the Moscone Cup. Uh, Jerry gave me his read a little earlier in the show on why he felt the mm-hmm. European team dominated the U.S. team the way they did. Why do you think it was such a lopsided win? Well, um, it was a little surprising that we won with that big margin but we all went into the events with a lot of self-confidence we knew we had a good chance even though team america had one of the best if not the best team ever name wise uh in malta but uh, i don't think they acted like a team i think europe acted like a team like they did in 07 where everybody fought for each other, everybody, you know, talked to each other, we had uh, dinner together, we had breakfast together, we just did everything together, we, you know, built ourselves up as a team, you know, and if somebody didn't play that well, you know, we 
we we told them, well, we win as a team, we lose as a team. You know, everybody is part of the team, no matter if you win all games or if you lose them all. You know, only the whole team can win the title, not just one or two players. And uh, yeah, Alex Lady did a great job. And he really, you know, let or left us with with our stuff, but he also uh, gave us, you know, certain ideas and certain things of approaching the table, and uh, it's just worked out great. I mean, we all really worked as a team very well, and I'm, I'm really proud of, of the whole team, what we achieved here in Malta. Okay, one last question. Um, can we talk about sponsors for a second? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a difficult time right now. I mean, everybody's having a hard time, and, and players are losing sponsors, and, and I'm sure that you've lost sponsors over the years, but you have had that core uh, group of sponsors that seem to be with you every year. How do you keep such a strong mm-hmm. relationship with your sponsors through the good years and the bad years over all this time? Well, it's it's uh, always a giving and taking. I mean, you you know you gotta do certain things for your sponsor, not only by representing yourself in the in the best possible way, which is very and probably the most important thing, but you also have to you know I don't know bring them customers, just you know make them happy. You know, it's it's not just good enough to ask uh, companies to help you out and then then you don't do anything for them. But then they feel like you're just, you know, trying to steal money from them without helping them out. I mean, it's, I think it's the same in any other sports. You know, if, if somebody is willing to pay a million for, for a team in football or whatever, they want their share back somehow. I mean, they want to sell more jerseys from certain players and, and whatever. I mean, obviously this is not the case in pool because, you know, usually people don't buy any 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 jerseys or any any stuff from players because it's just not existing yet and people seem not to to buy that that kind of stuff at least not in in a huge enough amounts where you know players could could earn a good share from that um, well you you got to approach the table and, and the whole scene in a proper professional way and that's the only way where you can either find a sponsor and if you have one where you keep the sponsor even though when you don't have a great year. But uh, I had one of my you know, best years in 08, but I'm probably going to lose another sponsor. I al- already lost two sponsors in 08, but it looks like uh, I'm losing another one in about two months from now on because the whole situation, the whole you know, economy is so bad that uh, obviously you know, companies have to cut their costs and uh, usually the weakest link is the you know the player or the the person that uh, you know helps the the company be out there? But uh, I don't know if this is the best way for a company. If if you cut your 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 costs uh, in in ads and stuff, but uh, this is what most companies do, unfortunately. Yeah, I have a question for Ralph. And it's sort of mm-hmm. a follow-up question to a question that I asked Ralph about four years ago, which was at the time I had noticed that Ralph, whenever he was sitting in his chair and the opponent was at the table, 
Ralph never looked at the table. Ralph always had his eyes glued. It looked to be like at a spot on the carpet about four or five feet out in front of his chair, and he'd stare at that spot and never move while he was in the chair. And I asked him, I said, Ralph, what are you doing? Because I know you're doing something mentally. I said, what are you doing when you're in that chair staring at that spot on the floor? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, Jerry, I'm not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. But this year, his game has changed. He's not staring at that spot on the floor, especially in the Moscone Cup, Ralph. You are actually watching what your opponent was doing at the table. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you've made a conscious change in your game in that regard, and this time, can you talk about it? Um, no, basically, I'm, I'm still believe in the same um, routine, uh, here and there, I, I change it a bit because, uh, especially in in a tournament like the Moscone Cup, um, sometimes you need to be like really, really sharp. You don't really have much time to think about what could you do because when you play with a shot clock, you need to be sharp right away. And if you look down on the floor, then and you know you get or you you feel that it's your time at the table now then all of a sudden you need to study the table first. And at the Moscone Cup, there's just not the time for that. So you need to look before and make sure if you get to the table now, you know what to do right away because 30 seconds is just not enough to, to you know, think two, three options. And that's why in events with a shot clock, I, I rather watch the table and, and, and check my, my possibilities and my options uh, even when my opponent is still at the table. Okay. When are we going to see you in America? I'm going to be back for the Derby City Classic. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm leaving Germany on January 19th. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to stay there till the, till the end, which means I'm, I'm leaving the country again on February 1st. Okay. Well, we will look forward to seeing you, and uh, we hope that your wife, Ely, gets the feeling better, and uh, hope that everything goes as well for you in 2009 as it did in 2008. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, Ralph's okay. What a fine champion he is. I wish a lot more players would uh, model their game and their attitude after Ralph. Absolutely. I, I've never heard a negative word from Ralph. Um, I, I've never seen another player short of okay well yeah i did see one opponent get a little bit frustrated at ralph one time but that doesn't really count um you just don't (laughs) see problems with uh you know with with ralph and the way he conducts himself he conducts himself as an athlete as, as well as he can yep yep well uh 2008 is gone, 2009 about to unfold upcoming events. Uh, Derby City is the first big one. Um, They're at a new location this year, and um, a lot of questions about how well that will work out. I mean, it's always kind of scary when you move from a location that's been working for you and you got to try out a new place, but uh, we certainly wish that event well. Absolutely, uh, Derby City is is really uh, it's been around for so long. It's a favorite event for so many of the players, um, 
it's not your typical pool tournament. It's not an event that that is ever going to be a point event for the BCA points list. It, it's, and I don't think the organizers really look at it and and want it that way. I mean, everyone knows that Derby is Derby, and if you don't go for that sort of thing, I mean, for example, we have some Christian players who just don't believe in that sort of thing, and and that's fine. Um, it is a great event. It's a lot of fun to be there. It's nine days of absolute craziness, um, and there's no other event that's even close to what Derby is. No, no, it's the there's there's nothing like it at all. It's all it's in a league of its own. But we do have some BCA points events um, coming up. We've got Turning Stone coming up. Um, that's of course Mike Zuglin's event up in Verona, New York, at the Turning Stone Casino. And uh, that that being our first point event of the year, I'm, I'm looking forward to um, to how that turns out. And then we've got uh, the Allen Hopkins event uh, coming up uh, in conjunction with the Super Billiards Expo in Valley Forge. Yep. On the ladies' side, we have the Regional Tour Championship, which will be in February. Uh, I will be at that event, helping to stream it. Um, and also, real briefly, on the Turning Stone event, you will notice at the bottom of the stories that we've been running on uh, Mike's uh, Northeast Tour, we've always said that you need to get your entries in, uh, the tournament will fill up. For those of you who have not gotten your entries in, don't even bother now. It is completely full and there is a waiting list. You can be put at the bottom of the waiting list, but the event is full. Yeah. Okay, what else you got, my friend? That's it for now. Uh, just keeping busy, keeping busy. All right. Well, I hope our listeners uh, keep busy by uh, contacting our sponsors, and that would be Simonis, <laughs> Predator, <laughs> and, of course, the wonderful people at Tiger Products. Take care of them. They take care of us. In the meantime, Mike and I are going to go on down the road, and uh, we'll talk to you again here on Runout Radio just as soon as we get the urge. <laughs>